I put care in things that become rotted and destroyed after, perhaps even in relationships, after I've made mistakes. And that's when I'm soft and tender. Like, why was I not able to do that before when the relationships weren't so fractured and strained? And that's when I realized tea has taught me everything, like truly. Even when I make a mistake, there's like this invitation to see something, to see something that I didn't yet see at the time. And, you know, I was like, wow, like this, it was really humbling. And of course I lost the guy one and then I gained something else that actually is quite priceless. Death is a vital part of life. It initiates us into change. It is inevitable. We face our fears and enter our death portals, shedding old skins and ways of being, grieving our losses and re-emerging anew. I'm Ellen Wong. I'm a storyteller and entheogenic death companion. I invite you to enter this portal of discovery with me and together, Let's break our fearful silence and uplift our stories of death and grief so that we can all be inspired to live our lives loud. Welcome to Mom. Hey y'all, this is Ellen. Thank you so much for returning to another episode of Mum. Today, I have the honor and privilege of introducing a teacher of mine. Her name is Mimi Young. She is a Taiwanese-Canadian animist spirit medium, a tea devotee, a writer, and also the founder of Ceremony. And it's really through Mimi who I have learned a lot of my animistic foundations or animist systems and um, even the introduction to my decolonization practice. I feel like it was at the start of the pandemic in 2020 when I met Mimi and it was through her mystery mentorship program that I began to learn about things like chaos magic, shamanic journeying, working with the I Ching, the spirits of yin and yang and how they dance together. And it's just a really, it's all foundational now to my personal journey and relationship with the sacred medicine, the sacred mushroom, but also with the earth and with the cosmos and just with source. I feel like this was a very necessary piece to my spiritual education that has provided me a very decolonized lens to practice through and to really be conscious of the honoring of all the energy and all the spirits around us, as well as where we humans sit in this giant puzzle, this giant mystery that is this universe. And so I really credit Mimi as the person who has really introduced me to so many of these concepts. And 
it just really brought me a lot of joy to see her create this book that we are going to be diving into today. This book is called A Tea Stronger Than Death, Poems of Hurt and Healing While on Sacred Buffalo Guardian Mountain. And today we are going to be hearing Mimi read some excerpts from this book and really talk about how this book came to be during her residency recently in Banff. And the walk with tea that she has had over a lifetime. And I just want to reflect before we dive into this conversation that you may probably hear a lot of long pauses. And from a very honest place, that is literally me receiving her reading and just almost being at a loss for words and sitting with the transmission, I feel like, of the energy that these words carry. Mimi was the person who taught me that, you know, words are spells and the power in words and finding the right words to create magic and to use in spell work. And so I just really hold her pieces of writing, this book in totality with a lot of love and a lot of gratitude because every word that she shares with us is spoken and written with such um, consciousness and thoughtfulness. And it's a very, very, it feels very intimate. Um, But what the book and what I've read of the book so far, what it's given to me is just permission to really kind of open up the doorway to reconnect to my grief and to sit with my grief. And it feels very much like every poem, very much like you're just sipping, sipping these words in and sitting with it like you would tea, which I found like such a fascinating experience. So I hope you enjoy this episode and this conversation. I truly believe that there was so much love and just magic transmitted through her readings and the recitations and just us kind of sitting with these words. So as we do with every conversation, I want to just invite you right now, if you're in a place where you can close your eyes, please do so with me. And let's just all take a nice deep breath in through our nose, feeling into that expansion in our lungs, that life force energy. And slowly breathing out with gratitude to the earth. Please welcome Mimi. I am so excited. I I like don't even know where to start because um, I know that this is going to come after an intro, but I kind of just want to say this right now. You have been such a beautiful teacher to me, um, and you truly came in like a gift from the universe at the perfect time. And it was the start of the pandemic, 2020. It was actually, I don't think we were even in lockdown yet when we first had our first conversation. And I remember Sam and I at that time wanting to interview for Wu Nu and deciding that we were going to drive up the coast to visit you in Vancouver and we we're going to stop off in Seattle. We we're going to make a whole trip out of it. And then the lockdown happened. <laughs> and so <laughs> we ended up doing this interview with you. I think maybe even at the very beginning, it was like a week before you launched your mystery mentorship program, which I think was May of 2020, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in that area. 
And that mentorship program truly changed my life in Mm. the most incredibly unexpected ways. And it wasn't even like I fully had an understanding of what I was walking into with that mentorship program. It was just like after talking to you, and I was already drawn to this. I think you, even hearing the way you explained it, I just felt like there's something that is bringing me here and something, somebody that's bringing Mimi into my life and I need to walk with her. And it mm-hmm. ended up being like a year and a half of just the most profound spiritual growth, I think, that I had experienced. Um, you introduced me to concepts like chaos magic that I had never really heard before. And working with tea as an ally and this conversation is going to be so much about tea and your relationship with tea and in a very specific way you know tea as this opener and um i almost want to use the word companion Mm. with for grief a door opener for grief Mm -hmm. um so that's my very long way of saying thank you so much for being here (laughs) just thank you so much well thank you so so much for sharing that and I, you know, I, I think we forget that the little, the big, the everything in between choices um, are for us and also for those around us. And we don't know just how many of those around us are actually there. And so thank you for reminding me to continue to do my work and as you do your work. And I love how life is very much like a braid and you know we come together and then it seems like our paths are segmenting and then we come back together again so this feels really special to you know be on this new podcast of yours and to continue our our walk yeah as humans absolutely and especially now as you are releasing this book or you just actually released it on your website a tea stronger than death um and the full title being A Tea Stronger Than Death, Poems of Hurt and Healing While on Sacred Buffalo Guardian Mountain. There is something that, again, I'm getting tingles on my back Mm. as I'm saying this. There's something about this book, and I haven't had the chance of actually receiving it yet, Um, but you sent me excerpts to read, and I've been following on your newsletters and just everything that you've been doing in Banff, which I want to hear about as well, this beautiful like artist residency with tea. Um, I think what I'm finding so interesting and profound is the fact that in walking together separately and also witnessing your life unfolding and, you know, the deaths of your, I think it was your Nai Nai or Yeah most recently, um, which I also want to, your Nai Nai. I want to dive into that as well. Um, But we both find ourselves kind of in the space where I feel like through different ways of working, we are being shepherds of death and doing death work. And so I kind of want to start off with your tribute or your inscription Mm -hmm. on the first page of the book where you say or you ask the reader to read with urgent slowness. And I just want to sit with that for a while and invite you to kind of um, explain where that came from and why that invitation. I think the concept of slow as a pace is 
almost forgotten to us as modern, you know, industrialized humans. Um, and urgency typically here as modern industrialized humans is viewed as speediness. So if something is urgent, it typically means that there's, you know, a due date pending or you know, some, something has to be delivered um, or completed um, or attended to. And I, I felt that by juxtaposing these two words, and in many ways, they actually mean something of the same, that one can ask themselves, what is their pacing? And you know, I, I feel with when one is reading prose compared to when one is reading poetry, it does require a different type of attention, a different type of pace, um, a gate, so to speak, um, a reading gate. And for me, urgency also implies a, a level of importance. And so if we can enter into reading you know a book of grief um, with some more deliberate attention typically by slowing down slowing in the body so the eye as or the eyes as it's running through each word and even our breath even how we're holding the book um, and to see it as an important task as a task of urgency that our work is not achieved by doing things faster. I would argue it's by doing it slowly. And of course, with tea, let's compare tea to coffee culture. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You know, right? Like it's like tea is a medicine that invites us to slow down and to become aware. Um, whereas a coffee, in the way that, you know, Western world has, and I'm not saying where coffee originates in those traditional folk cultures. I, I my sense is, you know, the Starbucks, so to speak, um, has changed coffee to uh, accelerate everything in our lives to the point where everything is urgent, which means nothing is urgent. Mm. I so appreciate that invitation to slowness. Because interestingly, I, I hadn't really reflected on this before, but everything that you just shared, it made me realize that it was in my urgency to go fast in my life that was my escape from my own grief. And it was in living fast, you know, and mm -hmm. in, in all kind of descriptions of what that means, like living fast. Um, that was truly my yeah, my escape hatch, like I didn't want to deal with my grief at all. Mm -hmm. And so to open up this book with the invitation to urgent slowness. And when I read the word urgent, what it felt like to me was, um, yeah, urgent always feels fast for some reason. It implies fast. And yet the way you explained it just now, it's like a, it's so necessary to go slow. There's really, in fact, no other way through mm -hmm. grief except slowness. Mm -hmm. it's and I I interpret in this way this combination of the two words urgent slowness it's inviting oneself to devote ourselves 
to those difficult feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like this book is like this, um, it feels like an altar to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like a portal, uh, a portal of energy that really invites us to kind of, um, I'm even imagining like sipping tea with every single poem and every single, is it pronounced sinograph or cyanograph? Yeah, um, it's, uh, these illustrations are cyanotypes. Cyanotypes. Um, I will have to show you the original. So the ones in the book, they've been scanned and grayscaled, but original um, cyanotypes are blue. So it's like the cyan color. Um, it's paper that's been treated with UV sensitive chemistry and you place either a film or objects, um, expose it to the sun. And once it's exposed, you wash off the chemistry and the image appears. So it's quite analog. Um, and, you know, to, to kind of provide a little more context, I wanted, I, I didn't want technology to get in the way of talking about grief, just like how oftentimes we can use science as a way to justify our feelings. It's like, no, they, they exist. They, I don't need um, an institution to, to make my experience sound more validated or more intelligent or more real. And so I deliberately, when I say scanned, I scanned them by taking photos of the cyanotypes off my iPhone. Oh, and I have wow. an old iPhone. And so I really did avoid using... Um, some of the facilities that was available at my residency, like really kind of like top of the line machines, I wanted it to feel really direct, um, because that's how we work with grief directly. Mm -hmm. I love the idea also that in this sort of more, um, it's not, the word primitive wants to come through, but it's not primitive at all. But it's just more, I would say, like low res, you know, to use a digital term. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. in the low resness of it, which it doesn't come across as low res, but it feels very much um, what as you're sharing kind of part of your process, that it sort of also aligns to this idea of rot, which I feel like is a common theme that you're coming through with this particular book. Um, Yeah, yeah. no filtering, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's rad. I, I didn't even <laughs> know that that was part of your process, but I, I'm loving, I mean, I, I expect nothing less from you, but I oh. love the consideration and the deep thoughtfulness that you bring to every single part of your art making, you know, and your crafting, mm. and that includes your offerings. Thank um, you. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, I'll, please. Just, I'm, I'm thinking this might also provide a bit more context. So, um, you know, one thing that we often overlook when putting together a book is the font. Or the, or, or the different fonts. And because it's tea and both are a lineage, you know, we're, we're both Han Chinese, Han Taiwanese. Um, and, you know, the reality is that tea has been torn in a few wars, um, you know, and the, these wars, the opium wars um, have a direct impact on, on us as, North American um, Chinese uh, diasporic population um, and our ancestry. And so for me, going through the the design process, it was paramount that I chose a font 
um, that is not of British or French origin. That was really important for me. And, you know, it's, we know the kind of world we live in, like you have these sort of like ideals of, okay, I, I wanted also a, a font, a key font that was designed by a woman designer. Cause I'm just like, what, what can I do to make sure that as many aspects of this design process feels like an act of reclamation. And so I, like, I went through the Adobe catalog for days <laughs> <laughs> looking for the right typeface. And I did find one at the end. Wow. I, the little designer in me is like yeah, yeah. squealing with delight right now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. everything that you just share. <laughs> that that's the level of like I feel like thoughtfulness and consideration and just consciousness that um you know I think when when somebody receives a book, you know, oftentimes you don't really think about like the 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 aesthetic character, you know, of that you're reading like the aesthetics of the way that things are laid out, but I just appreciate so much the designer in you like thinking about these different things because that's the energy that I think you feel also probably on a more subconscious level when you are reading these poems. And I'd love to kind of go into just like taking a step back. What prompted you to write this? Because I think, did, correct me if I'm wrong, but you created this book at Banff recently mm -hmm. during an artist residency. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that residency? Yeah, so it was a five week residency. Um, and, you know, Banff is the Banff Center for Arts and Creativity. It's a, it's, it's a pretty extensive campus. Um, and it's set on the side of Sacred Buffalo Guardian Mountain. Um, in it, from a colonized name um, is Tunnel Mountain. And so that was another thing as I really wanted to call to, to, to name and refer to this mountain as its original name. Um, and I went in, I, I didn't know that I was going to be writing this book. Um, you know, the application um, that I had submitted was discussing my work um, with T uh, through my Magic of Tea, my monthly Magic of Tea offering. And I thought that it was potentially a place where I could dream up of more uh, magic of tea offerings down the road and where it could intersect uh, not only my current work, but maybe bring in more elements of artistry and creativity. And so that's really what I thought. And this particular residency, um, it was it was a thematic one and the theme was titled Meeting for Teas. Mm -hmm. um, so it drew artists and curators and thinkers from all over. Um, and we all, you know, had this time and space to sit with tea independently, sit with tea communally, talk about tea in all the different ways, including decolonizing as an aspect of tea um, and tea culture. Um, and I couldn't stop crying. You know, the first two weeks when I was there, I didn't even really know what I was crying about. To a certain degree, I kind of did because the day that I received um, news that I've been accepted was the same day my nine I passed away. Oh, wow. And yet, when I arrived, I wasn't crying only because um, she had left this 3D plane. I was crying about so many other things. And 
many times I didn't even really know what I was crying about, but it was, it was very, it was a very somatic, visceral experience. And it was an, in, uh, these cries were quite inelegant. Like it was like very much ugly cries. <laughs> and, um, and it, it felt almost like uncontainable. And the words just flowed, you know, I, it's just like, I felt the need to be in front of the computer and just to start typing. And, um, you know, I worked with the words in a very, very much an anonymist way where I asked them if they wanted to be neighbors with each other, like, did, did they feel resonant together and sometimes you know the answer was really clear yes sometimes it was a no and other times it was more gray and I realized even that was a reflection of grief and just like I mean we don't we're not given a grief manual right like it's we have no idea how to do it yeah and oftentimes we are discouraged from it in some you know by society I'm, I'm kind of reflecting right now on the fact that you entered into this incredible artist residency and it, to do grief work, but it was completely an unexpected sort of invitation into that, you know? Um, and that's kind of what I'm starting to realize about grief work, because it's not really, you can't plan this, you know what I mean? No way. It like it comes when it comes and when it comes that's the time and grief doesn't give a shit if like you're in the middle of a huge project or if you're like you know got other plans like it's it's there it's like okay it's time to see me you know yeah. it's time mm -hmm. to befriend and and walk with me and so i find it so fascinating that i feel your nine eye in that you know i mm. feel her pulling you into this space where you're in the sacred land, like on this mountain and just surrounded by nature and so cared for, like so protected in this, like almost uh, like a nest mm -hmm. to, you know, confront that grief. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she loved mountains. Wow. She loved, you know, Mount Fiji. She loved when she visited us in Vancouver, she would want to go to Whistler every time. And um, and she also loved Banff. And so I, it very much felt like she, she opened this opportunity up for me to attend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I On the back end, that. of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Through the little, you know, yeah, yeah, the no. little digital channels. I love mm -hmm. that. I want to kind of dig into the work now a little bit. And there's mm -hmm. three pieces that you graciously sent me and I'm so grateful. And I was literally was just sitting in the bath before I signed on and just rereading them and holding them um, in water, literally. Mm. And I felt like I was kind of steeping in a tea, so to speak, you know, just like it was, it felt so good to be able to hold these words while I was being held in water. Um, so the first one I'd love for you to read out loud. Um, but before we actually, before we get into that, I have like pages of notes right now that I'm staring <laughs> at because there's there's little things I picked out from a recent newsletter of yours that I just want to read out loud that kind of struck me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this was actually in maybe conjunction with your ugly words mm -hmm. um, offering, which we're going to get into as well. But 
you wrote, we need spaces for our mascara to run like waterfalls, to find ourselves and each other in those pools of rot and rejoin with and, con and reconfigure our fragments in the messy tangle of pain and joy. I love those four mm. lines so much because I think as somebody who, like my core wound was silencing my grief and what that, mm, the life that that brought me, I should say, the, the experiences that the silencing brought me. And now holding this podcast is so much about me breaking that silence and, you know, uplifting these stories. But I think when I read that, there was just something, it just moved me really deeply inside. Um, and yeah, I just love the idea of being able to take all of these fragmented pieces of all of us, you know, and together we can kind of reassemble into something even more beautiful and um, really embrace that messiness. So mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for this again. I feel like that's like an invitation as well. Yeah. And those words really flowed um, out of me. It felt like those words wanted to, those energies wanted to take the shape of words. Um, and after I wrote, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I didn't really think like I wrote it. <laughs> it was like channeling through. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Okay. I would love for you to read for us Gaiwan. Gaiwan. The chipped Gaiwan. The lidded tea vessel met its last moments through my carelessness. With broom in hand, I notice as I gather its scattered body and feed it to the dustpan with more attentive, attentive handling than I did when it was still intact and realize it isn't about the guy one at all. This one really hit me in this like beautiful place. Um, I'd love to just hear from you how this particular poem came through. Um, it was one of the first things that happened when I arrived at the Banff Center. Um, truly, I had been careless and I broke this beautiful, one-of-a-kind, handmade gaiwan. And it was like, you know, a thousand pieces, little shards all over the floor. And that was when that feeling of with urgent slowness really hit me. And all of a sudden I softened because I really, really love this guy one. And I swept it up and I noticed I'm capable of being very tender. I'm capable of slowing down. And I was noticing that the shards, even though they were completely at that point, no longer functional in the same way as when it was intact, they were glistening and pointy and smooth in some aspects. And I was like, I, I am putting a lot of care in the aftermath and then realize me that connection that it was a mirror like I put care in things that become rotted and destroyed after perhaps even in relationships after I've made mistakes mm -hmm. 
And that's when I'm soft and tender. Like, why was I not able to do that before when the relationships weren't so fractured and strained? And that's when I realized tea has taught me everything, like truly. Um, Even when I make a mistake, there's like this invitation to see something, to see something that I didn't yet see at the time. And, you know, I was like, wow, like this, it was really humbling. And of course I lost the guy one and then I gained something else that actually is quite priceless. If you're in the midst of a life transition, a death portal, I'm talking to you. Congratulations on your initiation into a big transformation. I created my death rebirth mentorship program to companion you through this death portal, shedding relationships, careers, patterns of behavior, aspects of your personality that no longer serve. For 13 weeks, I walk right next to you as you learn to be with the sensations of your body, facing your fears, your wounds, your anger, shame, grief. You learn how to befriend and soften your inner critic. You discover the root of your scarcity, your fears of abandonment and failure. You release the unresolved charge from ancestral and developmental wounds. You start to see the signs and nudges from the universe, the unseen, nature. You suddenly realize you are never walking alone. You begin to hear your body's messages through sensation and emotion. You become your inner child's BFF. You become whole again. You recognize your gifts and begin to realign to the values of your infinite and essential being. You get clear. By bravely walking through this death portal, you develop a trust and a belief that allows you to fully surrender into your most easeful, powerful expression of you. Go to tripwithellen.com and sign up for a free discovery call. Listeners of Mom get $250 off if you mention this podcast during our call. Thank you for the honor of witnessing, companioning, and guiding you through this death and rebirth. I think the reason why this struck me so um, so deeply is because it hit on that little part of me, actually probably a big part of me, that is the recovering perfectionist and you know like feels very uncomfortable in the messy breaks Mm -hmm. and tries her damnedest to avoid it at all Mm -hmm. costs you know and I think what was coming through with this for me was that you know I love that it's an invitation to slow down but also like the medicine in that moment in the in the broken pieces you know um and almost kind of like there's a purposefulness almost to the to the break you know there's a pur- purposefulness to the um the imperfection you know mm. the the mistake if mm-hmm. you want to call it a mistake which i don't know if i really believe in mistakes anymore mm. but there is something that can only be delivered in that brokenness that, you know, um, it felt like permission to me. 
Mm. I love how you say that. Like, it's almost like the lesson wouldn't have been delivered if the gaiwan was still intact. Yes, exactly. It's like the gaiwan had to sacrifice itself in a mm. sense. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and an interesting, like, really, it, it was a, like a sacrifice. And I grieved for its loss. I was like, wow, it took that for me to see the need for that urgent slowness, even in my relationships, like my intimate relationships. And, you know, why is it that we, we, so often whether if it's from a perspective of perfectionism or a perspective of taking things for granted we assume the givens are givens and maybe they're not um and then the thing happens mm-hmm. and then it's like oh well it's over and, and your whole concept of time has changed yeah I think this is what is really starting to open me up in this walk with death too, because I think it was really only in studying death and really learning the ins and outs of what happens when we die. And, you know, even like some of the logistical things that sitting with the inevitability of it, you know, I I think it's finally hitting me where because I have a tendency to want to multitask and go really fast Mm -hmm. I think this was finally the the moment where I received um yeah just the invitation to slow down and the invitation to be in my senses and to really enjoy every single moment and to notice the little tiny details of every single moment because they are so precious. Like each one of them is kind of like this guy one, you know, that mm-hmm. can so easily just kind of disappear and poof, like just be gone. Um, there was like a moment during my death doula training where our teacher, Elua, asked us to share what one sensory experience is that we just love so much in this life. And I was in total just full on tears by the end of the share because nobody shared anything huge. It wasn't like, you know, getting married or like, you know, these big life, having my first child or whatever. It it was these moments like smelling coffee in the morning, feeling the wind on my face and hearing the ocean, you know, these very, very seemingly like mundane throwaway moments. Um, And I think this poem also brings that out to this remembrance that like I don't know it's like the preciousness I think in these very you know a guy one serves a a purpose you know and I feel like there's it can be easily sort of like mm, disregarded Mm -hmm. you know or Mm -hmm. or not held in um just what's the word like cherished you know Mm -hmm. um yeah I don't know it's it's it brings up a lot of different things for me yeah (laughs) I'd love to go to the next poem filling and have you read that 
actually before I read it, it's paired with a specific cyanotype of specific tea leaves. And I should actually, I don't think I've mentioned that. So all the cyanotypes are made with tea leaves, different tea leaves, different Chinese tea leaves. And this one I deliberately chose a Laoshan black. It's a honey orchid um, and a honey orchid oolong. So you, you'll see there's different sort of shapes. Some of them are the honey orchid and some of them are the black. Um, so these are considered high tannin teas, um, which of course relate to the poem. And also because these two teas, um, my grandparents drank them. Mm. These wow. are very classic signatures. And so the poems where I'm referencing them or talking about them directly, um, I chose teas that perpetuate them in some way. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that so much. So the poem goes, filling. And in that moment of filling my mouth, I let the tannins of hurt bloom. Full on chills as I just hold that. I feel like there's something about your poetry that I just have to reflect on right now where it makes me not want to talk, to be honest. <laughs> it makes me want to just sit in silence. Thank no, you. for real. Yeah. It that's why I'm like taking these I'm like, okay, we can't really do that on a podcast, but <laughs> it just I want to just sit and savor it, you know, in the same way like that I do with tea. It's so fascinating to me. It's the same energy. One thing I really understood, and you might, you talked about this earlier, is, you know, grief needs to be approached slowly. Can't plan for grief. And I deliberately use the word bloom and just like pain as, like, you know, pain can bloom. And it's because the act of blooming also takes time. And it's like, if we let that fruit, or sorry, if we let that bud, that bud of pain to take, it's, take up the space it needs, it blooms, it will eventually bear a fruit for us. We need to trust that will happen, but a lot of times we don't want to go there because it's really uncomfortable. Um, and so the, the I let or I let the tannins of hurt bloom, it's this consenting. It's like I consent, I allow, I'm, I've resigned, I've surrendered to this because I, I, I know there's no other way but, but that. Hmm. There's also this beautiful like beauty in blooming you know it's there's something that I feel like you don't often associate with hurt because you think hurt is and pain is like ugly or unwanted and yet I feel like it's really the sacred mushroom that has taught me this there's so much beauty in it there's so much and I love 
even the juxtaposition of the two words hurt and bloom together like that. Um, yeah. There's yeah. something kind of like tea and, you know, all plants and fungi medicine that we take internally, like we, we take it by opening our mouths and like the mouth is this very sensuous orifice. And so it is very much, once again, you talked about this in your grief doula training, this, this return to being sensory based um, and a filling, a swelling. It's, it's quite sexual. Um, and also it's a reminder that sex, you know, the act of sex is deeply creative, even if you don't like, you know, like procreate, but it's, it's a creative act. It activates the parts of our, the centers of our body that's tied to creativity. And if we would allow ourselves to grieve, going back to the fruits, like something creative is going to come out of it. Yeah. I love that aspect of it too. It's even in this study of death, I think I'm starting to really understand that death and sex truly are so um, closely related, you mm -hmm. know, so mm -hmm. very closely related. Um, so interesting. Something about this, like definitely activated my throat chakra as we're talking about this. So I feel like there's some healing that I'm actually receiving and something like needing to come through. Um, but yeah, like I've, I've spoken about this and I've still been sitting with this. Um, but there was, uh, a woman, um, who is a sex education. Um, I always forget her official title, but she reminded me that to orgasm means, um, a little death in French, right? Totally. So, totally. Yeah. There's something so beautiful about that juxtaposition. And we feel it, right? Like there's this rising and accumulation of energy and then the release, which is like the decomposition, the rotting process. Yeah. Yeah. I love how there's, it's like this whole life, there's metaphor upon metaphor upon metaphor. There's so many, you know, um, it just, it's beautiful to sort of like unpack and unfurl. Um, and even this idea of like inhaling and exhaling being death and birth and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. So let's go on to the next poem, which I think is um, this vertigo really, I think of these three, I felt the weight of this one. Um, and this is the one I, I think I've, I've sat with the longest and just felt, felt into. And I think even in the feeling of it, um, I just wanted to share that it's like, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, like wisdom or any sort of like um, conclusion that I come to when I'm sitting with these poems. Each one of these, and especially Vertigo, which you're about to read, just, again, it feels like a portal to allow me just to be in this space of feeling, which I feel like is the medicine. It's so potent, and I, it's like it turns this off, like my brain off, and it just brings me right down into my body to just sit with and feel like feel into the, the heaviness. Um, so anyway. Thank you also, before I start, for saying that. Because 
you know, like these, I do not profess that writing or reading these poems um, made me feel better or made anyone, will make anyone feel better. I, but I do believe it's an important aspect of my own pain um, of, you know, working with, not even working through. I don't even know if it's about working through. You know, um, yeah, so so thank you for the reminder that it's, I don't think there needs to be a, a conclusion or like a, um, like a, a tidy little boat tied on top, right? Like it's, okay, vertigo. Grief's vertigo, softened by oversteep tea, takes me back to the now. How missing Yeye takes me to places I'm unprepared to travel to. No time to check if my eyeliner, eyeliner is still drawn, cheeks still pink. When I return from those memories, the sharp bitterness of the cup enhances the sweet past. Exhaling, I toss her leaves and start again. This time, as I prepare tea, I'm attentive to her, aware of each second, a widening aperture until the focus is just right. I wade in the presence of tea and swim in her waters to relate with him as spirit, still a grandfather, but missing his scent, his hums, the only person's humming I enjoyed. Tea is a lake, or more accurately, a river, with glistening pigments and wafting memories that take me downstream to those other realms. I hear Yeya's voice. Mimi is all I hear, yet it's also enough. Do I die a little each time I miss him? That last line is like everything and it made me just it made me really sit with this idea of missing you know or this feeling of missing which I feel so often you know not as often nowadays um as before but when I think about my dad and that feeling of missing and it's part nostalgia which I feel in this you know like um just even hearing his humming and things like that that you have in this poem but there is this it's like an ache um and considering or holding that ache as a potential like like a, a death you know there's something really it feels very true about that like um sometimes for me like missing is like almost it's a few different things, but one of the things is the longing to have another moment again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an awareness that the change has arrived. It's long past at this point. Um, and yet, we, I don't know, like we want to time travel and, and relive something or create something new. There are so many times, actually, while at Banff, 
where I thought, wow, Yea would have loved to have visited me here just because he was a swimmer and I swam um, at Banff regularly. Um, they was this amazing facilities where you wake up and you have the option to do whatever you want because, you know, I'm there without my family and without my daily kind of obligations. And so I would go down to the pool and swim my laps the way my yaya did too um, in, when, when he was alive in, in Taiwan. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, is it possible to miss him as I do new things? Like, which of course the answer is yes. Um, and it was just like, come, come swim with me. Oh man. You know what you're making me realize that the missing, it is very much a somatic physical missing, you know, and it's the feeling of the body close to theirs or a feeling of a body experiencing something that their body is doing, whether it's humming or swimming or, you know, there's something so fascinating because I feel like I can genuinely say that my relationship with my Nai Nai, actually all of them, Nai Nai, Popo, Yeye, both of my Yeyes, I feel like it's closer, I feel closer to them now in death on this other side of the veil than I did when I was, you know, a little girl or growing up and having that very Asian kind of sense of, you know, propriety and they're my elders and I can only go, get so close to them, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so in depth, in death, I do feel spiritually closer to them. But there's like a, a missing of their embodied presence, mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, same thing with my dad. I feel closer to him now in, I feel like many, many ways, but it still doesn't stop me from wishing that I can pour a whiskey and have a bourbon with him, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. um, and just talk, like hear his voice and like share that, that physical space. Totally. Yeah. What do you think your grandparents would think of this book? Well, <clears throat> um, I dedicated it to my yeya nene so i'm thinking my gongo and popo might be like are you gonna write what about a us? book two <laughs> where's ours <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but i definitely feel that they were with me i mean when all four of them were with me um and it's been a strange year because i lost my popo on my birthday this year back in January. And then I, yeah, I, I, I said goodbye to my nene, um, you know, in, in July. And like, they were exactly like six months apart in death and, and they were friends um, while, you know, while they were in, you know, the 3D plane. Um, and so it was just like this very, it's, it's been an emotional year. Um, and also, I'm, I'm watching the grief, like, obviously, like, I'm not the only one that's feeling grief, like, I'm watching both my parents navigate the world um, without uh, their elders now alive, and them realizing that they have become the elders in our families, and um, 
you know, I, I remember mentioning this to my mother at Mother's Day. I was like, I'm probably going to cry as I say this. I was like, you're the matriarch now. And she just witnessing her and I like really saw the little girl in her and I, and she's like, I don't know if I'm ready. And yet the moment has arrived. this like passing of the torch so to speak and this Mm -hmm. you know I think that's the thing too with death um it's it's it throws you into these roles that it's like nothing can really prepare you for except just stepping into it and that that is messy that's messy as hell you know like redefining who you are in this new space in this new role and how people see you and yeah it's there's a birth in that right and also a death to what was before it's just so um I feel like this book it's like not a coincidence that both your purple and and I both died this year both passed and that this came out of you you know, this was channeled out of you. And it's, again, like a portal for all of us to be able to connect to our own grief by just sitting and like literally sipping your words. You know, it feels like it's like that's how I I am in relationship with these three poems. It's like I'm sipping them, you know, and just sitting with it in very much the same way that I do with tea. And it's a very interesting thing to notice because I don't feel that way about all poetry Mm. but these I definitely feel yeah Mm. what's also interesting through the act of writing this book of poetry you know we're we're all at the residency and we are in each other's spaces um regularly and like the, my colleagues at the time, like they hadn't even read my poems yet. Um, they didn't even know really what it was about. And a handful of them independently, privately started sharing with me their grief stories. I was like, how did you know that I'm writing about grief poems essentially? And the loss of grandparents quite wow. specifically. And I was just floored that there is something invisible i don't know if it's the tea spirit or just the it's like you said a a portal definitely was opened did somehow they could intuit it wow it's that's where i see the magic you know Mm -hmm. like wow i and i think it's in these very inexplicable connections that i i just feel so I take so much comfort in them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I always associate you with spell work mm. because you are my teacher in spell work. <laughs> and so, again, there's like no, no, um, I, it, I shouldn't even say coincidence. It's just more like it just brings me so much joy to be holding these poems and be talking about words with you because you're your relationship to words, to language is so, um, it's just potent. It's, it mm. really is your medicine. It's so, 
beautiful to witness, but also to also receive like through your offerings. So I'd love to talk a little bit about this new offering that you have called the Ugly Words um, series, like which again, the title of it already is like perfect. And I just want to read out this line that you wrote to describe this offering. Um, you wrote that the Ugly Words series welcomes us to make kin and ritualize the necessary themes of ugliness, decomposition, rot, which is now becoming my favorite word, <laughs> grief, and endings, and their intersections with written and shared word, animacy, and the supernatural with clarity, tenderness, and tenacity. Tell us about this offering, because this is juicy AF. And I really, again, I think rot is not a word that you hold very often, I think. And so when I read it in your description, that one word was like, oh, yes, yes, that feels so good to actually <laughs> say the word rot and, and to like celebrate it, you know? Um, so, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's um, a six-week transformational writing series that starts October 15th, and it's to do this. It's to do the mascaras, waterfalls stuff that um, I had talked about or that you had read of what I wrote um, earlier um, in our conversation, and it's not really, like, I mean, folks may have the intention to write and have a finished product but really it's a way to exorcise not exercise but exorcise the aspects of us that have been asking for our attention and as we exorcise um, we wind up changing and I'm interested even in the concept of expression. And I think a lot of times we define expression as in creativity. But if you were to look at the word expression in a medical sense, it's to let something flow out of you. So to express breast milk, for instance, it's, it's letting something come out of you that needs to come out of you. And breast milk, um, it's nourishing. It nourishes and sustains life. And I really do believe that it is the ugliness that sustains life. We know this with fungi. We know this with all these little in, small or invisible critters and creatures and sentience. Um, they do a lot of the quote unquote dirty work that allows for all the beautiful springs that we have every year. Um, and so I'm interested in the fall and the winter, um, these darker seasons and they represent us and our darkness too. And I really want to embrace it. I want to shift out of whatever that is still left in us around perfectionism that comes up again, and particularly perfectionism in wellness and spirituality, because it's a real problem. This idea of we need to be perfect spiritual people or perfect um, wellness people and it's a I, I definitely sense this a lot in the west coast but in other parts of the world as well and I'm like this is just performance and it's not helping yeah. us yeah. Um, and it's preventing us from really relating with each other and with ourselves 
And to me, this is a decolonizing act. I think about birth and I think about death and it's messy. It's mess. There's no way around that mess. It just is, you know, it's part of it. And I find myself checking myself sometimes like, oh, did I curse too much? Or, oh, did I, mm. you know, like, like, should I not drink tonight? Or should I, you know, all these like, quote, these like rules of mm -hmm. God knows where the hell they came from, but you know, just like sort of imposed. And I think even as I'm sort of stepping out and being more outspoken about death and things like that, I find myself thinking these things and it, it actually disturbs me. Like, you know, I don't want this in my field. You know, I just want to show up as I am and embrace the fucking mess and be okay with that. And so I just so appreciate the spirit behind this offering because I feel like, again, it's permission. It's permission to dive into what you're like, yes, the darker aspects, but also, I don't know, it's there's something so beautiful about the ugliness mm -hmm. that I'm just so mm -hmm. grateful to receive through this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a few of the areas of ugly words exploration. So it's, you know, for the six weeks, there's going to be six key energies. And then within the energies, there's sort of sub sub explorations. So the big the six big ones are ugliness is sacred reclaiming the rot, writing to witness, um, decomposition in a capitalistic world, from endings to create and recreate, and then reading to witness. And so some examples of, of these specific work and you know, creative explorations folks will be invited to join in would be like, what are the pathways to the holy uglies? What I call the holy uglies. Um, is perfection evil? Like I personally find perfection is evil. So like the rotten as divinity instead of perfection as divinity, like, is that possible? Can we lust after rot? We, we tend, we are taught to objectify women's bodies and to, um, and in the act of objectifying, you know, for instance, the Barbie movie talks about this, is like when it's something as perfect it's actually not alive mm, right and that's so why she true. she's sort of like confronting with like death because she is ex she's going through the process of becoming human and so can we lust after perfection like that's to essentially lust after death which ultimately brings us back to rot anyway wow <laughs> holy shit that right <laughs> Okay, I'm sitting with that one for a while, <laughs> but it's so, oh my God, yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, wow, I would never, I would never have thought that. And yeah, 100%, wow, okay, <laughs> sitting with that, for sure. Well, these are sort of that. the things that would act as containers for folks to start sitting with the ugliness and the things they find obscene, the things they find, um, you know, the places where they can't go to. And like I said, even in spiritual circles, there are some sort of forbidden off topics. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you go to McDonald's, then you're like obviously super horrible as a human being. <laughs> but the fact is, 
it's like that's part of the life that exists these days and the more we lean into perfectionism the more we actually lean into fascism which is a whole other topic um but it's through reclaiming the rot and this concept of ugly that i feel we have a deeper connection with the divine i really do feel perfection is evil yeah i i'm when i read that as part of your description it really it was just like this you know like i it felt kind of like oh damn <laughs> like i had an oh damn moment you know mm. and yeah I just feel like perfectionism brings us so far away from ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. it it's so disconnective that, you know, it just makes it feel like that becomes the portal to all things, you know, that you would use the word evil for, right? right? And so, yeah, I just, I really appreciate the way you kind of spoke about this and wrote about this. Um, and I'm really excited to see what comes through this offering. I always love to end this podcast with five questions for every guest, if you'll indulge me. Of course. Okay, and these are meant to be fun, but okay. um, what is your final meal? Mm, ooh. I think, which may not be realistic. Um, I think it would be my mom's Taiwanese chicken soup. Oh, wow. Do you have Noodle a recipe? With, and noodles. I, I do, but she makes it better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I know. Yeah. There's an energetic quality that you just can't yeah. replicate. <laughs> yeah, and it is on my sub stack. Um, I, I can always send it to you after in case folks want to give it a try. But yeah, I, I don't know how to do it the way my mom can. <laughs> I love that. What song or sound do you want to hear as you take your last breath? These are moving questions, Al. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to be. I yeah. love it. <laughs> getting messy, getting mushy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is one sensory experience you will miss so much on this earth? The scent of and the fragrance of tea. Mm. Oh, I love that too. It's every time I ask that question, I, I feel it in my body when people answer. And it's just like, uh, as, soon, as soon as you said tea, it's like there's something that just feels so, it actually expanded me. It felt mm -hmm. like expansive, like a breath of fresh air. What is something you want to leave as your legacy for the next generation? It could be an object, a thought, an idea, a feeling, anything. I ask this question all the time, um, and it kind of changes. They're sort of, but they're all sort of similar. I, it sounds so cliched though when I say it out loud. It's I, I just I, I hope people are reminded somehow through my work that they are enough that they matter and just to continue loving like I know it's like super cliched but it is true like it's what I feel so strongly about yeah yeah 
I feel like that is probably the biggest pandemic that we're living through right now, the not enoughness, you know? So I think that's beautiful and so needed. So last question, if you could start this life all over again, what's one thing you would do differently? I think I would start speaking my mind much, much younger like much sooner in life, right? <laughs> you're oh, nodding, yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would just, I would just not care less about those stupid things that hold me back. Love you so much, Mimi. Thank mm. you so much for this space and this time and your energy and your words. Love you too, Well, um, Thank you very much for this conversation super nourishing thank you so much for listening and joining in our conversation mom is produced by trip with ellen with so much joy and so much gratitude for bringing these intimate stories to you if you enjoyed this episode please follow us on your preferred podcast app and take the time to leave us a review This ensures that we can continue to sustain our production through your support, which opens up new monetization streams for us. Follow us on Instagram at mumthepod. See you at the next episode. Until then, remember, every death offers a portal to life.